Welcome to another of the Advent calendar editions of the Coot Street Podcast, which Jonathan Strawn and I have decided to do um, during the end of November and through much of December. We were coming up, as many people do at the end of the year, with a list of some of our favorite books of the year and thought we would do daily podcasts with the authors of some of them. And tonight I am delighted uh, to have Nicola Griffiths with us, whose spear has been getting terrific reviews from even unexpected quarters, I gather. Um, like what? what, what? Historical fiction people were liking. Oh, yeah. No, that that really surprised me. I um, I mean, obviously it's set in a historical era, but the the basic premise is, is Arthur, who of course is legendary, if not even mythological, and there is magic in it. But yeah, I, I've had... Um, and the, the cool thing for me is that it's already being taught um, really? in universities and colleges. Yeah. And I people who teach um, Arthurian stuff, so if they're teaching um, Gawain or they're teaching anything by Chrétien, it, it just they're bringing in Spear and apparently the students are loving it. So that's thrilling for me. Wow. Well, it, it, it is a thrilling book. And the, I think the thing that's fascinating about it is uh, I, I mean, there's not, there's no shortage of Arthurian books, and never has been. But I don't think I'd ever seen such a historical Welsh perspective on everything. Uh, <laughs> it, made it made it seem new. It made it. I mean, I, I, I don't understand the geography exactly. And Glastonbury is, I know where things are supposed to happen, and we mm. all have Camelot in our minds from. But this seemed like a believable landscape, uh, mm. and and a and a part of Wales that seems to be historically accurate. As historically accurate as I could make it, sure. I mean, the fact is that we don't really know what it was like, but I, I know that climate was changing at that point. So, And there had been the, quote, fall of Rome, unquote, and lots of population change, sometimes replacement, sometimes just cultural change and population movement as well. And there had been a couple of plagues. So there had been the Antonine Plague, which was, most most people think it was smallpox, although it could have been measles. Um, and then there was the beginning of the latest round of um, plague, basically Ricinia pestis, you know, the thing that caused the Justinian Plague and um, the Black Death. So yeah, people were dropping like nine pins and then breeding like rabbits and everything was changing all the time. So everything's a little up in the air about what we do and don't know. But I'd spent I've spent so long because of the Hilt books living in the sixth and seventh century that to me, when it came time to write a story about myth and magic and legend, um why not put it there? I already knew how it should work. And it just fits. It it fits so perfectly. Arthur really does come from the Britonic tradition, whether from the language and the peoples that ended up being Welsh and Wales, but from all over Britain. So yeah, to me, it's a, it's a natural fit. Well, we're going to get a little bit to the Hill novels in a minute, but I've, I've got these questions we promised people we would ask. And one is, what have you been reading lately? <laughs> uh, well, a lot about smallpox and Yersinia pestis well, and variolas. Yes. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, basically I've been reading things with thrilling titles like New Approaches to the Plague of Justinian and Variola in the Viking Age and riveting journal articles on gas chromatography and ice cores. I have had a very hard time with reading the last year, apart from just being deep in my own work. We've had a lot of uh, family and financial and um, political upheaval. And my I've got this kind of whine in my brain and it, it's very difficult to read fiction. So um, wine is a very colorful and accurate term because I knew, I knew exactly what you meant when you said mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, the, the, it's the, like, the, I can't think this is wine. Yeah. There's something yeah. buzzing that's just keeping you from concentrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's just, I, this. I, I felt that a good deal during the, Worst parts of the lockdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I uh, see. I didn't feel it then. Really? I was so no. I was the the first year of lockdown was the best writing year of my life. I wrote Spear and I wrote um, the last half of Meanwood, and Meanwood is a very long book. So I wrote I wrote two hundred thousand words that first year, and they, as far as I'm concerned, are good words. So it was a great year for me. <laughs> I had no obligations. I had nothing going on. Kelly had a job. We had health insurance. It was just great. I would get up in the morning and plant some flowers, play with the cats and work for hours. It it was fantastic. I mean, I was very sorry about all the people who were dying, um, but I wasn't dying and I was safe at home. And We may have had a bit of a glitch there, but let's go on with the next question in our list of questions for Nicola. Is there a seasonal book? Well, it doesn't have to be a Christmas book, but a book that you recommend to people this time of year or that you go to this time of year? Um, not really. I'm not not actually a huge fan of, of holiday stories per se. To me, a holiday story is something I like to settle in with. Um, so I like a big book. And mm. I haven't read anything good this year at all. I, I think... I've read I've read a lot of stuff that feels slight and um, careless and and rather kind of disposable, um, weirdly unloved fiction. Uh, so for me, I think what I would, if I had to pick a book now off the shelf to read, I would choose an old favorite. Um, I I just love the kind of book that is so good it's so gripping and emotionally involving and it's so smart that it overwhelms my distractions and it's been hard reading lately because i have felt very distracted so i would love to read again for the first time um an amazing series like patrick o'brien's aubrey Maturin books or mary stewart's the crystal cave or um Susan Cooper's The Dark is Rising. And and I mean just that book, not the series. That that book feels quite different to the rest of the series. It feels much more grown up. Oh, excuse me. I think Siri is trying to talk to me. Let me just uh, see if I All can right. make her. There we go. <laughs> I think one of the things, yeah, well, Siri sometimes. The joy of uh, technology. I, I know. It's, it's sometimes, uh, not only that, but I've my, my new kitten has learned how to turn on the printer and print out a test page whenever she likes, which kind of annoying. <laughs> but yeah. one of the dangers, one of the dangers, we talked about this once before. I like to go back and read 
comfortable things that I loved when I was. But sometimes that backfires on you. And we, we were talking specifically in terms of uh, Spear and, and, and the books mm-hmm. that I loved when I was a kid, like The Once and Future King, for example, uh, or books mm-hmm. that were very influential. Um, the Crystal Cave is, is, is a good example, but there's also The um, uh, Mists of Avalon. And I don't Oof. think I'd go back and reread those if I were you. No, I, I couldn't even really read it the first time. I struggled through it the very first time, The Mists of Avalon. Um, but if if that book had worked, it would be a perfect holiday book because it's big, it's epic, it's involving, it's set in a different time and place. It's the kind of book that takes you away, except that book didn't because that book just pissed me off all the way through. So... Um, no, I would never have recommended that book to start with. So yeah, I, I want a big fat book I can put on my lap. I can sit by the fire with the cat next to me, purring away, glass of Armagnac to hand, and just get lost in, in a book that possesses me, that, um, that I can read and, and have all these moments of human joy, as well as epic adventure. And I could emerge on the other side feeling increased and, and bigger and better, and like a, an improved <laughs> person in a particular way. You've described an absolutely wonderful book, and we don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> but m- maybe maybe it's going to be Meanwood. Let's get to our final question. What do we expect? It's going to be big. It's going to be epic in mm-hmm. scale. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not covering her entire life even yet. Am I right? No, no, it, it, it is um, epic. And having said that, I mean, it's epic in size. It's 270,000 words, so it's 30% longer than Hild. Hild covered, covered oh, how many years of her life? Uh, like 14 or 15 years of Hild's life. Meanwood is much bigger, but it only covers four years of Hild's life. But it is those four years are intense because it's a, a mm-hmm. time in England of, well, Britain, of regime change. There are four different kings of the same country in four years. So you can imagine the, the war and devastation that that would involve. So with that war, there's all the bad things about war. There's loss, there's grief, there's violence and pain and hunger. But there's also all those, the opposite side. I mean, a lot of people have great memories of war because they live life so intensely. So mm-hmm. there's love and lust and joy and laughter and triumph. But there's also lots and lots of quiet moments, just just quiet contentment and these moments of dawning understanding. But it's really, there's a lot in this book about power and responsibility. It's about Hild going, in Hild she was a child mm-hmm. and she always lived at others' pleasure. She she could have lost her life any time. She had to be right every time. She had to be indispensable to survive. And in Meanwood, she actually essentially says, well, you know, screw that. It's time I was a power in my own right. And instead of being a powerful wife or a powerful mm. daughter or a powerful godmouth, she becomes a powerful person in her own right. She becomes a maker, breaker, and shaper of kings. But the whole, so the whole book is about how she makes that change, how she makes that work, how she creates 
alliances, political and personal, and basically changes her destiny and and the path of history. There's um, but you know there are many downsides to power as well. Mm-hmm. So she has to make some really big decisions. And there's this one moment in the book. Actually, there are two of these moments, but one I'm thinking of particularly where she has the fate of her life and many other people's lives just balanced like a sword across her finger. And, well, I'm not going to tell you what happens because you're going to have to read that. No, but it's, uh, I, don't, I don't want to give away too much. But, but um, it's, it's great listening to you talk about it because I can tell you're in love with this book. I love this book. It is... Oh, it's it's a book about life. It's about how it feels, what it means, how it changes. And Hild is on every single page of this book. She's the burning heart of the book. She's the the fulcrum around which everything turns. And my favorite part is that, like me, Hild is most at home in nature. So it's full of water and sky and high wild places. She has this amazing freedom. Um, so I I loved spending time there, and I can't wait for people to read it. I'm dying well, to see what you think. We can't wait to read it, so when can we expect it? Ah, well, I talked to my editor last week, and the book has finally gone into copy edits, so it's in the production process, uh-huh. and it will be out in October 2023. Excellent. We can start probably pre-ordering it months before that. Oh, sure. Yeah, I think you could probably pre-order it now. I mean, because that's just how publishing works. Also, I've seen the cover. I've seen a draft of the cover, and it is amazing. It's by the same people who did the original Hild cover. Uh And so they have aged Hild appropriately. And, of course, she has much more to her now, so... Yeah, it's going to be very cool. Well, thank you for joining us and telling us about when to expect this. Uh, Again, uh, we've been talking with Nicola Griffith. This is Gary Wolf. And thank you so much for um, joining our podcast. Thank you. A pleasure, as always.